Storymakers. Welcome to Storymakers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And I'm Angie Powers. On today's podcast, Elizabeth talks with Diane Frazier, a published poet, student of the shamanic and hermetic arts, who in her work on national behavioral health projects has developed her scientific knowledge on addiction, recovery, and mental health. She was a founding member of a small writing group called Aerograph, who wrote together for 13 years and did readings in Boston, where Diane lives, and in Pennsylvania. Diane also had an exceptional niece. Delia is born with problems so severe that her prognosis is death before week's end, Fraser's website explains and continues. Blessed with a powerful resilience and a pioneering female surgeon, Delia survives over 40 major surgeries, coming close to death many times. Through her humor, mischief, and appetite for life, Delia shows people how to live with gusto and maneuver around obstacles, self-created or otherwise. Like the superhero characters she loves, Delia undergoes major physical transformations, brushes with the law, and experiences magic, danger, and changes of identity. Growing along with her, Auntie Diane helps Delia live an independent life and comes to understand just how much her own will and attitude influence her reality. Growing Up Superheroes is the unforgettable true story of Delia Nye, the girl whose grasp of death pushed her to fly beyond her limits, taking others along with her who were brave enough to rise to the challenge. Diane and Elizabeth discuss memoir, writing groups, promotion, self-publishing, and writing about disability and difference. And we're glad you've joined us. Welcome, Diane. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really looking forward to to this conversation. And um, and I've I've just finished the book, so wow, yeah. <laughs> Only because I just got it a few days ago, and um, and yeah. So and and I'm so moved by you know this way of getting to know Delia, right? Yeah. And um. And I think that's, I mean, I'm guessing that one of your major motivations was to kind of um, keep her alive for those of us who didn't get to know her in person and, and maybe for yourself too. Can you talk about that aspect of this book? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It certainly did start out that way. Um, uh, spoiler, Delia died uh, in February of 2013 and I delivered her eulogy and it was the second eulogy I delivered in about eight months. Mm. family eulogy and so um, after I delivered it several people came up to me and said you should really write a book um, and I've been writing my whole life uh, so I sorry I just lost you there yeah so I thought it was a good idea I was uh, taking a memoir writing workshop at the time at the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown so I just sort of dove into it, and it really was a way for me to stay close to Delia, for me to sort of explore and and um, revisit uh, her life and our journey together and our experiences. You know, I'm, I'm not someone who thinks about the past very much, so writing this was really a deep dive into the past that um, I guess I needed to take. Well, that is one thing I really want to talk to you more about because I've been trying to write a memoir and that aspect of going to these places that some of which are painful um, and just trying to find the, the truth, you know, in amongst my fragmented conflicting memories and, and mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and the things I don't remember. And, and I could tell with this, or I, I imagined with this book, 
um, that you talked to a lot of people. I mean, it was it's an omniscient book, so it actually it's a it, although it's a memoir, and it's unusual in that it, it goes into many different characters' points of view. Did, That's right. That's right. I did interview uh, many people. I interviewed many of her friends who volunteered, um, as well as you know, I got some stories from family that you know we had stories, but they just sort of reminded me of them. Um, and I kind of went through my journals because I've been keeping a journal for most of my adult life. And yeah, so the interviews were really helpful because it allowed me to sort of collect some data and see what the common themes were, you know, things that sort of everyone said um, about Delia. And those sort of emerged as the characteristics and the kind of, um, you know, qualities that I wanted to amp up in this story because obviously it's just my rendering and Delia, like all of us, was multifaceted and I certainly didn't capture all of her, but I captured parts of her that were common to, you know, to, uh, to many people. Yeah. And then how did you go about kind of moving from, you know, I know journals can be, they don't always give us like salient details or, or even locations. I mean, maybe you journal that way, but you know, how did you then move from all these disparate recollections and memories into scenes that, that and scenes that then built a story? Mm -hmm. Well, I tried to be true to the sort of settings and situations that as I knew them, because, you know, everyone will tell you, if, you know, I can interview 10 people and they have 10 different storytelling styles. Like some people will say, you know, we went to the store, we picked up a blue hat, um, you know, we rode the bus home and that was the end. And someone else will describe everything or someone else will talk about the person they ran into at the store. So I tried to take some of the details that they did share um, and then again, build a scene around them. I had to imagine a scene, you know, I didn't have the details like, oh, you know, um, a kitten me out in the corner or something like that. I didn't have that. I kind of added that. That's the writers, that's creative writing. You know, we get to add in things that make the story come alive. Did you feel like, did you investigate those boundaries? Cause you know, there've been all, all these different scandals, right? So I feel like as I've been approaching this, this, form of memoir, I've been really aware of all the different boundaries that people draw around what you can do. And and there and some people are very broad about it and some people are very narrow, you know, whether it's journalistic or more creative. Did you grapple with that at all or did you feel like you knew exactly where you were willing to go? No, I did. I did grapple with it. Um and for me, sort of where I do the line is I didn't share anything about any of the characters who are real people. Um, that they did not share themselves. Like I wouldn't tell someone else's truth that they are private about, including Delia. There are things, many private things about Delia that are not revealed in this book. Um, so I tried to, that was sort of my boundary. Um, and then, you know, Delia's friends in particular, uh, my family perhaps less so, understand that Delia herself loved big stories. <laughs> Yeah. And if she was starring in them, then she embellished them and she turned them into epic adventures. So that the book was written in that spirit. Um, and I did get releases from everyone in the book as well, signed releases, oh. because, um, you know, I just felt like that I needed to do that. Um, 
but no one, the only people who read it before I published it were my family. I really wanted them to read it and approve of it, and they did. And really, none of her friends asked to see it. I think, honestly, they they were so full of grief. It was just, it was not something they could they could really get into, you know, at that time. I mean, I started writing it four months after she died. So, right. Um, how about now? How long has it been out? Yeah, it's been out since June. And I did deliver a book to everyone who was in the book. They got a copy. Um, but I think, again, many of them, even some of her closest friends, they're like, I can't read it yet, you know, because I'm just, it's too upsetting. And, you know, I'm still grieving her so much. So, you know, it's still kind of up in the air. Some of them have read it and some haven't. So, um, you know, and a few of them even said, you know, when I was interviewing them, were that they were like, I'm pretty sure that Delia would want you to put a few lies in here, because <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's how she was. So I think her friends um, approve of the story. They understand that what I'm trying to do and turn it, that I'm trying to, it's a tribute to her and, and her epic adventure, which was epic no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, and because she loved comic books and fantasy and video games, you know, I was, tr I really tried to craft her story into something that was at that level, but deeper, you know, it's, it's a book, it's not a graphic novel, um, but something that had that quality. Well, and speaking to that, there's this element of kind of magical realism, right? These, these capes that keep uh, fluttering around the corners of everybody's sort of vision, right? Yeah, yes. How did that emerge? Well, it's interesting because I was like, how am I going to um, really sort of, I mean, she, you know, she appears as a hero just by virtue of what she went through on a physical level and her, her outlook. But I wanted, I wanted to give it that, um, you know, that magical feeling. Like that is how I experience the world. And I do see people, you know, kind of in a metaphoric and symbolic way. Um, and I think, other people in a way do too. Certainly not everyone in the book and not every person I know, but we do sort of see people through our lens. And um, everyone that, that I interviewed said that Delia taught them so much, that she had so much courage, um, and that she was the most confident and outgoing and kind of balls out person that they've ever met. So how could I capture that visually, not just through their, the character's thoughts and viewpoint you know I wanted to capture it visually and I also wanted to show that she wasn't the only superhero in the book like her friends and her family were re really critical to her adventure and her life you know her friends carried her up and down flights of stairs in her wheelchair mm -hmm. carrying her wheelchair like a throne up and down stairs um, and all over the place you know she skied she jumped off cliffs in Hawaii. She couldn't do any of those things without other people helping her. You know, there's no way. So everyone who participated in her adventure was also a hero in my eyes. So the capes are really a way to symbolize that and, and bring that to the reader's attention. Yeah, but it's beautiful. I love that part. And I love that you, you kind of just slowly, you know, we see it here and there and we're, you know, you just allow that to emerge in a really beautiful way. Thank you. That. Thank you. It kind of also reminds, I, I feel like, I, I don't know exactly where I heard this, but Gabriel Garcia Marquez, I believe, talked about how, you know, 
it was it isn't sort of magical realism that he's doing it's sort of the stories the way his grandmother told them and the way he experienced them mm -hmm. and um and i felt that too maybe a little bit that kind of you know that um yeah that, that this is the way you can see the world that you can sort of see symbolic and emotional and spiritual things visually and um and then also you know with the comic part and all of that 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 can somehow also come through yeah yeah thank you <laughs> so um so let's talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial aspects of um being a self-published writer and actually you know angie is um a filmmaker and and kind of thinking a lot about crowdfunding and all of those aspects and also just building a team and i know like chelsea designed the cover right delia's yeah. sister yeah. and um so i wanted to talk about all of that and um yeah, just just how you kind of um, oh, and I guess the other thing that I was mentioning Andy's filmmaking because you know in some ways when you talk about like interviewing people and bringing this together, it does have that aspect of a film where you've you're kind of getting all of these stories, but then you're converting the talking heads into you know reenactments almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, so how did you? When did you decide you were going to be the publisher of this book? Well, um, it's sort of, it's some complicated. Um, partly it's that I'm impatient. Um, and the other part is like, I'm really into astrology and I had some really, I've had some really major transits going on this year. And I just felt incredible amount of pressure from the universe to get this book out into the world now. And if I had to take the time to find an agent and then find a publisher, it would be years before the book came out. Um, you know, I know people who it took them five years just to find an agent, you know, um, and I just don't didn't feel like I had that much time uh, to spend on it. And I work full time so I could, you know, I have an income that I was able to apply to it. You know, I all it really took was my time, my energy and, you know, my own finances to fund the book. And I know there are a lot of. Um, you know, there are a lot of pros to being published by a publisher. You know, there are a lot of book reviews, book reviewers who won't even look at a book by a self-published author. Um, I mean, it's changing a lot, but, you know, there are, there are a lot of pros and cons. But I've always just kind of been pretty independent. And um, so I felt like I could do it. I have experience in communications and PR and things like that. And also Delia had to maneuver around a lot of obstacles and do things on her own. So I really kind of had a good role model for, you know, just create, if, if you can't find a way in, just create a door, you know? So that's kind of what I did. Um, and Chelsea has been on board with the book since I started. She loves her sister a lot and the cover, you know, the cover actually took about a year to get it right. She was working on it for about a year. Um, and, uh, it was done with a lot of love and I think we both feel like it captures something magical about Delia. Trying to hold this up. Yeah. You've got, and you've got these photographs on the back of yeah. her different stages in life. Mm -hmm. Yes. She had many phases, you know, the goth phase, the hippie phase, you know, her last phase, um, as an adult, she renamed herself pork chop with all her friends and she was like a real player and getting into fights at clubs and, you know, just 
going after women and just being kind of like a, a bit of a rake, you know? Um, so we just wanted to capture that like playful, mischievous, lust for life quality that Celia had. And so, so Chelsea was on board. And then I also, um, a friend of mine is an illustrator and, you know, he didn't ever know Delia, but I was talking to him about the project and we both just kind of looked at each other and realized like he needed to do some illustrations for this book. Um, so that's where the illustrations came from. We both, we were just kind of talking about them. He hadn't even read the book when he did the illustrations. We just kind of talked about these different stories and then he came up with an image for them and we tweaked them together. And I think they're a really nice addition to the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then how about building or finding your audience? How has that been? Yeah. Um, well, I'm just sort of just starting out, but I've been, um, you know, I think I know who some of my audiences are. Um, I think it's, I think it's moms um, who have kids that, you know, healthy kids and kids who have struggles of all kinds, because this is a story of hope and family and um, courage in the face of incredible adversity. Uh, so I think, you know, I think I know who a few of my audiences are. Have I met them all yet? No, not at all. I mean, I just, I'm just starting to get some press. I'm active on Twitter. I'm doing some events. Um, and I think I need to, you know, start reaching out to different audiences um, and make some connections. It's just, I just ha kind of haven't stopped for like two years. So <laughs> I, I can only do so much in my spare time, you know? Absolutely. How, how have you been drawing on the things you know about PR and, and mm -hmm. that work? To, to yeah. Um, I've been, well, I started out by sending out a lot of um, press releases, but I customized the email obviously to the media outlet. I mean, that's what you have to do. You know, I have a friend who works for a magazine and it's just a, like a, a local Boston magazine. And she said, Diane, I received 300 press releases a day. Hmm. So unless it's got something in the e body of the email that tells me why this meets my market, I'm not even going to look at it because there are too many. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I understand you really have to customize it. You have to research um, the media outlets really understand what they're serving up and how your story um, fits into what they do. Yeah, that's really interesting and important. I mean, Angie's doing this research, I don't know if you want to talk about it at all, Angie, but about kind of seeing how, just even on the level of an individual uh, audience member as opposed to like a media outlet, you know, how is your project um, fulfilling a need, you know? Uh -huh. I wasn't clear if you wanted me to say something or if you're asking her. Oh, I just wondered if you wanted to say anything about it since I keep reporting for you. Oh, you know, it just, I think that um, any time, we're in this kind of weird moment of almost everything we do, we're kind of seeking our group, our tribe or whatever, uh, to use some old language. And, um, and a lot of the stuff that I've been looking at around uh, crowdfunding is very similar to what we see in a lot of other kinds of, marketing and there is this issue if you think about your audience as having a problem of some kind and what is it that your stories bring and sometimes like an amazing story like this can bring kind of gratitude also for being able to look at the world in a particular way i've heard of people being like excited to have themselves represented you know a need to see yourself more you know more just represented and uh -huh. then positively represented would be great you know like <laughs> yeah 
have you connected with other people with disabilities around this book? I have, yeah, I have. I haven't, I haven't done a lot of publicity yet. I'm just um, like reaching out deeply to that community, and mm-hmm. um, but I am going to, you know, start doing that. That's sort of my next phase. Uh, I started with local press just to get some local press. You know, where Delia grew up, where Delia lived, where I live, because that's almost, you know, that's pretty a no-brainer like of course they want to cover people in their community but I do want to reach out to the disability community and um, you know I also think um, doctors and nurses who work with children uh, would be interested in this story because you know Delia had a whole community of kind of a second family at the hospital I mean she had a primary care nurse who was her nurse for 13 years you know, devoted to her, as well as surgeons and doctors and psychiatrists who all were very invested in her and and do this kind of work every day. And I think people like that would also be interested. Um, But I do want to connect with people with disabilities of all sorts, um, because I'm hoping and I think they will like this representation of them. Um, You know, what I've heard from the few people that I did have read the book, who are people with disabilities, they said, thank you for showing that we date and have relationships. You know, people think we don't, Mm. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm hoping that, you know, I'm going to get a positive response from other people with disabilities. She's definitely shown as a, you know, a sexual human being and a full, you know, just multidimensional human being, but also to, to experience on a, kind of detailed level the the things she had to go through not just medically but you know to fly on an airplane right and to get mm-hmm. that help and everybody having to get up and then the, and the different ways people reacted to her you know I think I wanted there to be this arc of you know well France and France everybody was really bad about it but in America everyone was going to be better or early on you know that she was going to have trouble getting picked up by a cab but later that was going to really change and that wasn't always the case yeah that's true like you know I I we showed that we I showed that story in France where you know people with disabilities live in institutions their entire lives you never ever see them on the sidewalk in restaurants or out in the world um, and you know the cab drivers were just emblematic of it like they were they weren't just it wasn't that they didn't want to pick her up when they had to pick her up they were cursing the entire time and you know shooting dirty looks at her and things like that but in the United States, cab drivers don't want to pick up with people with disabilities either. You know, what, what Delia experienced, unfortunately, was very common. You know, people with disabilities often have to go and hide behind, you know, a newspaper box or hide in a door while their friends flag down the cabs. Um, and that's mm-hmm. true, you know, that's true across the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you were in a writing group for 12 years. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that and kind of what were your rules? What kept it so going so strongly? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I met, uh, I, I was in different writing workshops with these friends, but there was, those were larger groups. And we finally decided to split off and go off on our own. Um, and so there were four of us. Uh, at the time, we all lived in the Boston area. And we would get together on a weekly basis, which is pretty frequent. Um, and it was a generative writing group. So um, each week, one of us would be tasked with bringing 
prompters to the group, um, something to get people writing. People didn't have to write about that, but they could. It was a, more of a jumping off point, something to think about and, and start writing from. And then we'd write for about an hour, I guess. And then we would just read, each other, read, read our raw writing back to each other and sort of provide feedback about what we liked or what stood out for us, um, what was strong, things like that. It wasn't really about critiquing. It was more about active listening and, and response. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we just had a really nice synergy going. We were very complimentary writers. And um, I think we valued the community that we created. And so we really stayed together for a long time. Um, eventually, you know, everyone moved away from Boston except me. You know, one was on the West Coast, one's in Germany, and one is in Pennsylvania. And we still continue to meet maybe once a month or every couple of weeks rather than monthly because of the time constraints. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and then eventually we just, because of lifestyle changes, we couldn't keep it up. But we just really had great synergy and respect and love of each other's writing. You know, it's really like a love affair with, uh, with other people's work, um, which is, it was beautiful to see also how we influenced each other um, across time, you know, how our texts would reflect each other sometimes. Um, so that was, it was really fun. It was beautiful. Yeah, that's, that is beautiful. I, you know, I, just in my class last night, people were writing and then somebody was about to share and they're not allowed to apologize, but she said, she said, sometimes I'd rather do a strip tease than read my just written work aloud. And, um, I said, well, you can, but, um, <laughs> and, but then she read it and it was just exquisite. And I feel like when you get to read your work that you've just written in, in front of a group and be witnessed, you discover, you know, you hear it in a whole different way than if you're just stuck in your head. It's true. It's true. Because we're, our, it's usually our critic who speaks first when we're reading our own writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then what other processes did you go through for, for editing the book? Oh, yeah. That was um, it's quite a process. I finished the first draft. Um, and really, and the first draft was actually written in, the, in an epistolary style. So it was actually a letter to Delia, the first draft, and it was about 400 pages long. Mm -hmm. And I let a couple of my writer friends read it and got their feedback. And then I completely rewrote it um, in the next four or five months. Mm -hmm. um, and after I had that draft done, I gave it out to several beta readers, people who I thought were my audience, so, so queer readers, um, you know, a mom, a mix of people who knew the family and who, who didn't know anyone in the family. And so, you know, it was probably about six people and I let them read it all the way through and provide feedback. And then I, you know, I took that feedback and I did more revisions, which took uh, three or four months. And then I sent it out again to a subset of those beta readers and a couple of new people, made more revisions, and then I hired a professional editor to someone who doesn't know my writing at all, but who's one of my occult teachers mm -hmm. and very different from me. He leads a very different lifestyle from me. You know, he's a kind of a traditional man and, um, you know, like he has a very traditional lifestyle. And he read it and gave me some incredible feedback that I feel like really made the book stronger. Um, 
So after, after his feedback, I did a final revision and let my family read it again. They, they, they read it somewhere in there and then read the final version. And then there it is. Mm. Yeah, it's always a lot of, a lot of, a lot of drafts, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, Let's see, I, I, I we're coming kind of near the end of, of our time because we have two more little segments to, um, to you know, two things that we always do. Um, but, um, but I'm, you know, I'm curious, I'm sort of exploring the use of kind of guided visualizations and trances and stuff in, in writing and in creativity. And I know that you, um, you have a lot of connections to those kinds of things. Did you use, I mean, and you, there even is the suggestion in the book that sort of Delia was was kind of co-collaborated with you, right? Yeah, from yeah. The, from the from the other side. Um, so, how do you bring kind of visualization or trance work or tarot or whatever into your writing? Really, I just look for. It's not like I do some kind of specific meditation to get into my writing. It's more that I look for if I if I'm working through a theme or a story idea in my head, like, oh, this is what I want to write about next. I, I sort of pay attention to how the universe is um, verifying that in my surroundings, you know, whether it's symbols, words, songs, people calling me and telling me something, you know, the way that it sort of gets reinforced by the universe. And so that's when I sort of know, okay, this is a direction I, I need to go in. Mm. That's great. I know, I mean, that does, I really know, that that happens, you know, that when you, that you sort of, and I, I, I mean, part of it might, you know, be when you're thinking about something, then it, you kind of, you become more aware of, of what's around, but, um, but then I think, you know, I can see how attending to it could, could reinforce your sense of which way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, the other thing I wanted to quickly ask you about is you mentioned the Fine Arts Center at Provincetown, and I just wanted to ask about that and if you or and any other kinds of um, residencies or retreats that you've done. Yeah, yeah, that it's the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown is a great place. Um, they have different programs through the year through in the year they have fellowships. So they're I guess they're nine month residencies for artists or writers to go there and work on their um, art. And then they have summer workshops and online workshops. And so I did um, summer workshops four years in a row. Um, memoir workshops and a young adult novel workshop and it's just a great community there it's people who are pretty accomplished in their work and the teachers are very accomplished and but it's but it's not uptight or stuffy really comfortable and welcoming so I just want to say that about um, them and I've done different writing workshops over the years with a bunch of different teachers in different, more informal settings at people's houses and things like that. And I really like that format as well. I, I think it's, you can relax more, I think, and get really into your writing um, when you're comfortable like that. Yeah, yeah, I know, getting that support is so, so helpful. And a last thing, last, last thing, before we go into our other segments is, um, what books inspired you? Or what books inspired me? Well, I have to say, I've always been a huge fan of Anais Nin. Her diaries, I just, I just go back to over and over because they're so rich. And for me, there's something that give me permission to write my reality and capture the details I want to capture and tell the story I want to tell that's true for me. You know, she, 
she, although she never asked asked or got permission from anyone that she included in her books, which I found out recently, I wouldn't do that. But I still like how much permission she gives herself in every area of her life. And I, I know I need that. I need more permission and less restriction. Mm -hmm. Although I heard she took, she like her husband isn't in them at all. Like she was, she had a husband during. Yeah, she kept him out and right. he was the one who sort of financed her life. But everyone else in the book, her family, the other writers, you know, none of them. I love that. Thank you. What are you working on these days? Well, I am working on a young adult novel. It's a urban fantasy novel based on some of my like psychic and supernatural experiences. And um, also doing different essays sort of related to the book uh, to try and you know, get those in different media outlets to just sort of help bring attention to the book. But, you know, they're more like about writing or about writing about family and things like that. Oh, great. Very cool. So the, uh, the last thing we do is our steal this segment. And um, it's based on uh, the principle that, you know, uh, if amateur poets borrow, professional poets steal. Uh, it's said in many different ways, but um, I think that was Elliot. So just looking at um, anything you've stumbled across uh, that you would like to to steal in the sense of take it and lift it and make it your own um, creatively or, you know, anything that, that applies. Um, <laughs> Diane, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I haven't been reading much just because I've been writing, um, but I did while I was on vacation, I was able to read a novel. I read um, jo Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Oh, I don't know if you've that. that British fantasy novel. And it was so fun. Um, it was such like, it was just so luxurious to be in that world for a thousand pages. And I really liked, it was a great cheat. I wish I'd thought of it, um, that these magicians, these two magicians help England um, defeat uh, Napoleon in the war. And they do the craziest things like move rivers, turn trees into, you know, things that block the, you know, block the soldiers or bring dead soldiers back to life and interrogate them. I mean, it was just, it was really fun. Mm -hmm. And I wish I'd thought of it and I wish I could come up with something like that. Yeah, well, that black sort of, I love uh, kind of taking history and and being, and kind of uh, up against the constraint of history, but then bringing wild imagination in. Yeah. I'm pretty confident you can do that, <laughs> given what I've read. <laughs> um, that's great. How about you, Angie? Well, I think actually I um, want to go back as, as I do my revision. You know, there's a lot of different things, but... I think that, you know, as I've been doing research, they have this idea about, you know, instead of having a broad topic, having this very, you know, intensely focused topic. And I think sometimes when I'm writing, you know, I'm thinking, oh, it's this story about freedom and, you know, um, very broad strokes things and kind of keeping continually breaking down what I'm doing into smaller and smaller pieces until they're manageable. Like I'm not going to write you know, 500 words, I'm going to write a sentence. I'm, you know, and I'm not going to not know what that sentence is. I'm going to write a sentence about this. I'm going to, you know, so that is, it can, is increasingly contained. And I think that's a hugely useful tool when you have a lot of information that you're trying to go through and you break it down into manageable chunks with specific outcomes. 
So you're taking that from the research work that you've been doing and are you thinking of applying it to your creative work as well? Exactly. I mean, so the, the point being that, you know, I, I keep thinking, oh, I have to revise my entire screenplay. And the truth is what I need to do is break down the real questions that I have and then, you know, make a concrete list of edits that I want to make and then make small movements towards those edits rather than feeling like I have to have this whole thing. It's just about continuing to break it down. And it's not, that's not very exciting, but I think the piece, instead of just breaking it down, I think the piece that's very interesting is to have a specific outcome for each action so that it's not broad. I, you know, not even like I'm going to edit the scene, but I'm going to edit this scene for dialogue. I'm going to edit this scene for location. I'm going to edit this scene for action rather than trying to have a broad, ill-defined question. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. That's great. No, I love that. It's great. Um, well, I have a funny one, which is because I have this this draft that I sort of wrote. I mean, I know that I I did, I don't I wrote it a while ago, a year and a half ago or something. So and quickly, but I know that I was putting a lot of plot in. You know, so there were some kinds of structure that I must have have known. But at the same time, because I did it in this very quick, focused way, there was a lot I didn't know. And then as I've gone back to kind of find the structure and put it into place, there's a lot that I'm pulling out of what I already have and going, oh, that's why that happened. Oh, that's what's really going on. I'm getting the, the details of the backstory and the of the bad guy and all of that stuff. So what I actually want to steal is my own kind of innocence about it before I figured it out. My own, the way that in the, in the text, before I know what it's all about, it can be very complex and it can be about many things and it kind of has to be so that the revelation isn't like dictated ahead of time, signaled, you know, the, the revelation isn't signaled because, and that's of course true in life too, right? Like we don't know what's going to happen until it happens. And then we have this kind of let, retrospective lens with which we go back and kind of tell what happened. But since I didn't always have that retrospective lens in writing this quick first draft, I want to steal from myself that ignorance and use it to strengthen the the impact of the reveals when they come. Hmm, wow. Yeah, we'll see if the, how that works. <laughs> <laughs> so Diane, where can people find you and where can they find your book? Yeah, yeah. Um, they can find me at growingupsuperheroes.com. Uh, there's information about the book. There's a click, there's a link there to go on Amazon and buy it. Um, my Twitter, my Twitter account is there. People can sign up for my email list and, or shoot me an email. Um, yeah. I've been on the website, but I don't, I didn't discover this. Do you have more pictures of Delia there? Yes, there is a photo gallery page and there's a bunch of pictures of her throughout her life. Um, there's a few of me and her, a few of her mom, you know, our family yeah. and uh, her friends. And as I've, as people have read the book, they've sent me photos as well that they had of her. So I've been adding those to the site as well. Has she inspired, uh, you know, even just creating her as a character who was already a character? Has that, has that impacted your writing with the young adult novel? Oh, yeah. She's going to be a character in my young adult novel. Oh, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. Because I want to read more about her. She's just, she's wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Well, congratulations, and thank you so much for coming and talking with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Elizabeth and Angie. This was great fun. Thanks a lot. Good luck. Keep, thank keep you. Keep us posted. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.